that this week. I mean, the scene has a bit of a history, like a really, really weird and obscure history with The Price is Right. But this week, The Price is Right had on Fallout Boy as guests. They weren't like actual contestants. They were just guests. And I thought that was the absolute weirdest thing in 2020. It definitely started the year off in a in an interesting <laughs> way. I, yeah, the, I don't know what the thought process was there. Like they were pretty much just standing behind the contestants making faces. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, it was so confusing. And then like they spun the wheel, and then like it didn't like Pete did, and it didn't even go around all the way. I don't think, which is the rule. Like it has to make one all the way go around, but. He got it to land on a hundred. I don't know. It just the whole thing seems super, super awkward. And I don't know. They they haven't. You know, I've heard some things behind the scenes in the Follow Boy camp where they're not exactly the happiest with each other right now. And the whole interaction seems so forced and so awkward. I just, it was such a weird moment. It just seemed like a weird like PR show pony thing right, that wasn't right. totally thought out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, okay, they're here. The end. Right. Like, they weren't even contestants. Like, in the past, we had uh, Steven from Amberlynn, the singer. He went on the show. He didn't win. I He didn't win the whole thing. I can't remember if he won, like, a showcase or anything. Uh, but before that, we had Adam D from Kill Switch Engage. Uh, who is a massive, massive Price is Right fan. If you, if anyone remembers, he was in the Under Oaths to Find the Great Line DVD, and they're sitting in the studio recording the record, and he has it on in the TV in the background, and he's, like, calling all the contestants out for how ridiculous their price ranges are. And then he goes on, like, shit, almost a decade later, and literally wins the entire show. It was so funny. Okay, so this week I have Brandy Hayden on the show with me. Thank you so much for being on, Brandy. You wrote for Matt and I at Alt Press a couple times. He reached out to you and you wrote a piece that we're actually going to talk about a little later, but kind of go down and give us a little bit of your history with the scene and how you got into writing. Yeah. So, I mean, I entered, I guess I entered into the scene just about the age everybody does. I feel like that 14, 15 year realm. I'm a little bit older than you, Tyler. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, <laughs> I was very, like, from under the court, the court tree, and Three Cheers were my kind of, like, first entry points, and it just kind of expanded from there. But um, big music fan in general, like, we were just talking about what other genres we listen to, right? And um, so I knew that I always wanted to be a writer, read Rolling Stone a lot when I was really little. So that kind of propelled me into that. And so mostly how I got into it was just local, more more so local reviews and stuff like that, which I still do now. I live in Pittsburgh. Other than that, that's kind of how Matt found me because I would post any artist interviews I did, things like that on Twitter. And I followed him and you guys. Um, over at AP and I just got a message from him one day and that's that is how networking works kids shout uh, out to Twitter <laughs> so uh, yeah that's pretty much just kind of what it is did some stuff for you guys and I'm continuing to do the local shows and things like that well Brandy has a, a 
deep, deep knowledge of the scene. Even just talking with her over a phone call the other night getting ready for the show, she has a wealth of knowledge about some pretty obscure Screamo shit. So we're going to have fun this episode diving down. Uh, But before we get into our main topic, which is the return of Haley Williams, we do have a few listener questions. First one comes from Chris. He says, hey, just wanted to say it's good to hear the pod is back with a vengeance. It was missed. I was the guy who wrote in a couple years ago to talk about the new tragic. So I clearly still spend too much time talking about this stuff, too. Thanks for writing in, Chris. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, anyway, two things. I'm assuming you've heard Static Dress, but if not, seems relevant to your interests. Hype them up so we can get them over to the States ASAP. And two, if you're neighbors with Jeff Rickley, that makes us neighbors too. So beers on me next time there's a good show at St. Vitus or something, Chris. <laughs> well, first off, again, appreciate that so much, Chris. Uh, we'll definitely have to link up sometime and relive the glory days. But as far as your first thing that you brought up, Static Dress, I think it's so funny that people are already writing to us about this band. I found them over the summer when they had released their first single called Clean, and they just happened to pop up on my Spotify one day and instantly was taken right back to 2004. We have so many bands, even just throughout the last decade, who say they sound like Under Oath and From First to Last and Census Fail and all those bands from 2004 to 2006 when that whole Screamo wave peaked, and they don't actually sound anything like them. Static Dress is one of the closest examples, except for maybe that low-key supergroup called Suffer a couple years back that put out a record. That sounds actually like 2004 again. It's kind of like what Capsize were turning into, but just on steroids and just pedal through the fucking floor. This is Screamo at its finest in 2020, and they have two songs out. There's some fairly good, like, mystery around them that's that's building hype. They, they do Twitter fairly well, and they're really using the music and the caliber of their songwriting and what they're going for to their advantage and being as cryptic as they kind of can. I'm assuming, I, I haven't done the deep dive on the members or anything like that, but I'm assuming these guys have, were, had been in bands for a couple years now, just popping around, like, the uh, UK, European scene, and then they decided to get together and do this thing because they had already taken over one of the post-hardcore playlists on Spotify, and they only have two songs out. Both of the songs, clean, adaptive taste, they're so fucking good if you miss 2004. They really take back to that, but they're not just straight ripping them off either. They have a very like dark side to it, and they're utilizing like new wave production value to their advantage, whereas a lot of bands use that, and they make it sound like complete ass. This band really feels like they're, they're taking that formula and breathing new life into it. But what do you think about Static Dress, Brandy? I mean, I think you really just hit the nail on the head. <laughs> but I'm glad that you brought up Suffer again because I was listening to you guys on the show when you mentioned them before, like a long time ago. Okay. Right? And that made me check them out. And I love them. And they went on that mini tour too. And they came here and I actually didn't get to see them. But it was... Oh, man. Know, it was wild, but I, I turned a couple of friends onto them too. And that is immediately where I went after listening to these guys and listening to the couple songs. I immediately went to Sufferer, even though that's like much more dark um, mm-hmm. and much more like specific, but mm-hmm. that's immediately where I went with it. I think, like you said, the screaming is exactly what 
you would want from screaming. Like you crave that certain kind that we don't really get now. Right. Like right. You said the the before, you know. And even the cleans, just the tone, very mid tone vocals there, which I really liked. I was kind of looking forward to like, okay, but well, what's this guy's voice like, right? Um, exactly. I, I really liked that too. It was a nice surprise. Yeah, it was. It was. It feels good to get surprised by something out of our world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't get too many. Right, not nowadays. But uh, yeah, I hope we get to keep talking about this band on the sh- on the show. And they, I'm assuming they'll have an album drop at some point this year. But if you're into any of that throwback stuff, definitely go check out Static Dress and tweet at them until they get over to the states because I I can't wait for the future for that band so thanks for writing in chris next we have a listener question from jess she says hey tyler first of all i'm so happy that note to scene is back i've honestly missed it so much i want to clarify that as a long time fan of all time low i completely agree with your comments about the band releasing terrible music over the last several years however i do want to ask you if you've ever listened to all time low's getaway green song The band played it for the first time at Slam Dunk in 2019 as an unreleased song. In my opinion, it's infinitely better than anything they've released since Don't Panic. What's your take on it? First off, I had no idea that this song existed. Did you? No, and I was irritated about it. This flew like completely (laughs) under the radar. Completely under. Yeah, because even, you know, as we said, they just played it at Slam Dunk and they were like, hey, here's this song it's unreleased but act like you know it (laughs) exactly yeah and and it's called getaway green that alex had green hair i had i guess i was just completely checked out on the scene at this point i had no idea that this happened but it's interesting that they have songs like this that act like the the chorus hook on this song sounds like it could have been on nothing personal mm-hmm. and i like i think i said to you and we'll circle back to this i think uh, a little bit later in the show uh-huh. but um just online and when you're looking at even the new single uh getaway green is listed with um disaster so super super interesting brandy was already down the rabbit hole she's like i need this song <laughs> now i think better than everything since don't panic is a little excessive i agree that i do really really like this song and i feel like if we get this in the new cycle and more stuff like this it's definitely promising i mean we've been there before but Mm -hmm. it's it's, it, it makes me feel optimistic it's interesting to to know that they actually have these songs in the canon and they've actually worked on stuff that doesn't sound anything like last young renegade we'll get in like you said we'll get into this later with the with the band's return but this this is super interesting and we'll we'll tie this back in in a little bit but thank you so much jess and chris for writing in if you have any questions for the show about literally anything even if it's bands that we don't even talk about feel free to write in and and we'll hopefully get around to addressing them on the show but it is time to move on because this past week was the return of Haley Williams. And there was an actual time where I wasn't sure if we'd ever get Haley or Paramore back. Paramore has been on a bit of a unconfirmed, unannounced hiatus. And the, the Haley solo proposition has been brought up so many times over the years. B.O.B.'s Airplane, her first, like, real, real solo proposition, came out 10 years ago. 10 years ago. That song turns 10 this year. I found that out this week, and it absolutely (laughs) blew my mind. (laughs) 
vomit. It makes me want to absolutely vomit. So, I mean, we had that song. That song is six times platinum. That was like the fucking moon landing when it came out. I mean, everyone knew that song in 2010. Let me just tell you. You didn't like it? I hated that song. Really? absolutely hated it. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Okay, now that's interesting. What, like, what is there not to like about it? I mean, B.O.B.'s parts? I, no, it wasn't even that I hated it sonically, I think. So 10 years ago, so I was 19, 18, 19, right? And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I think I was just so cynical at the time that I was like, wishing, like, fuck you guys. <laughs> oh my gosh, so you didn't want to see, like, bands break out and get radio play and stuff like that? <laughs> that it was the concept of the song it okay. annoyed me. and I was alone on an island hating it I was just about to say <laughs> it's still, I know it's beloved now so people will probably hate my opinion even more and that's fine definitely we appreciate honesty on note to scene any hot takes we got that that that's probably the hottest take so far of 2020 on note to scene is that B.O.B.'s airplanes featuring Haley Williams was cheesy and bad <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that's my take. I'm standing by it. Hey, I'll take it. So Haley returned this week, and there's been talk for years about Haley going solo, and she had released Stay the Night with Zed in 2013, and it was like, okay, like this, this can still happen. Then we got the sonic shift in Paramore, and everything since After Laughter, regardless of anyone's thoughts on it, has changed the perception of Paramore and Haley because the two are kind of intrinsically intertwined at this point. But she released a song this week, her very first ever official solo single called Simmer. She released a music video with it. She confirmed that an album is coming and that she's going to tour. So we have a lot to unpack. But first off, I just want to get your raw thoughts on the song itself. I am kind of in love with it. Really? Okay. Yeah, I love it a lot. I think that I relate to it, number one, which I think that's more than half the battle, right? Even if you think a song is sonically good, like you have to relate to it on some level. Mm -hmm. So it just hits right for me. I relate to it and it's been stuck in my head. Like I it's I'm hooked into it for sure. I've listened to it probably dozens of times at this point and I'm catch myself singing it um, just from the jump as a baseline, I definitely love it. I want to know where you're at because I have, I think I have a feeling, but. Okay, first off, obviously I did not have high hopes. And that, even that pains me to say in 2020 that I didn't have high hopes for Haley Williams. But the song comes out and she's got this really weird, like, breathing and it makes you, like, instantly almost sound like nails on a chalkboard. Like, it it makes you feel so uncomfortable. And I'm a firm believer that sometimes feeling uncomfortable is a good thing, but this is uncomfortable in the worst possible way. It's like, Haley, what is going on? And actually, the beat to the song isn't terrible. And that's saying a lot, because Taylor York co-wrote and produced the whole fucking song, and he fucking ruined Paramore. So the fact that I'm giving him that is a lot in and of itself. Okay, so the breathing... In the beginning, like, I can kind of get, like, it's an odd choice. I had a couple people message me asking me what I thought, and my one friend 
was like, I was worried. I thought she was going to go full Billie Eilish for a minute. Because oh, come on. Let's let's go. Let's go dark pop. I mean, she took dark pop and, and twisted it into the weird, like, indie obscure vision that she has right now. So, yeah, obviously, yeah, the first couple seconds of the song, you're like, where is this going? Uh-huh. Like, in the actual fuck. And I could take or leave that. I'm not in love with that decision. That's mm-hmm. not anywhere near my favorite liberty with the song. So I can understand if that puts people off for sure. So the song starts off with that and then it goes into this beat and it's like, okay, this almost sounds like it could be like a pure heroine by Lord B-side when mm-hmm. the beat starts coming in. And I'm like, okay, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I totally respected it. And it just didn't happen for me, but I understood why that all worked and I fully supported it. Then it goes into her voice and I don't understand why she's trying to sound like something she's not. It sounds so forced. She's singing through these different octaves and like trying to force out these melodies that don't line up with how her voice is actually structured. And I know, and I'm not asking her to sound like Haley Williams from Riot Era or Brand New Eyes Era or even Self-Titled Era. People grow, our voices change, but she's she's trying way too hard on this track and I'm just I've said it on the show so many times over all of our episodes but if you're a musician and you're making a song whatever you're doing to that song needs to serve it and it's kind of you know the first example that pops into my head is pretty much anything that Johnny Craig has ever sang he sings straight out of his ass he can't serve a song because he's trying so fucking hard to just sing and so many vocalists go through the same problem where they take things too far and no one's in the studio telling them no because all she had in that fucking studio was taylor york and he's ruined everything for the past four years for paramore well you at least are consistent with your <laughs> criticism and rage um but no, I, so I like her voice in this song and I'm, you know, you're saying that you're not expecting her to be like Paramore of that earlier era, but then kind of like, what are you expecting though? Because even later Paramore, uh-huh. her voice, it like, I think in across the scene, this isn't a Haley thing. This isn't like a woman thing. You know, you have those angstier, very specific tones in those early, the like, the aughts albums right and everybody has shifted right i would argue totally i like her voice here i think it's closer to her speaking voice it's closer to how she actually sounds and i i don't know i i think that it all works it's off kilter enough to make it work for me and you brought up lord which was a great um tie in there for me this song reminded me if you mixed, um, like, Alanis Morissette and Light. Damn. That's what I got here, and I'm I'm in, for sure. I'm in enough to be really interested in what the rest of the collection looks like, 100%. Oh, definitely. I mean, everyone's going to listen to the record. If you listen to Paramore at all back in the day and you know that Haley's coming out with a solo album, you're definitely going to try it out. This song, it just feels... It feels very forced and it feels, and this might get me canceled, but I'm just going to say it because this is what Note to Scene is. I I think, and this is just purely my opinion, so Mm -hmm. at me on Twitter, Haley has been uncomfortable 
in herself for a long time now. And we started to see that uncomfortableness and that discontentment with where she's at with After Laughter. She went through a lot personally, you know, we're not not here to unpack all of that, but her personal life and her growth trying to figure out how to be an adult, and she's talked about this, has been very difficult for her. And I think that sense of being uncomfortable is coming out through her music and her art and like I said before, I think it's good to make people feel uncomfortable at certain times, but her being uncomfortable makes the output miss the mark. Like, it it feels very uh... unsure. That's what all of this is. Like, even her little voice shakes in the song, it feels like she's questioning herself when she's singing. But I, I, okay, so I agree with you, but I don't interpret it that way. So I do agree that there's some, there's like tension in this song, right? But let's go there and let's look at that. That's actually what the song is about. But it's coming through and for me, it makes it relatable to me. Like I, you know, like just the little hiccups, like I said, it's off kilter and I agree with that. But for me, that, that just makes me relate to it more. Like it's a purposeful thing or, you know, it wasn't on purpose, but it's real. For me, I like that a lot because there is a sense of like unpolishedness or it's, it's forced in a way because like, we're adults and we have to force shit. You know what I mean? Like True. there's a part of it that's, um, that's the, it's the back and forth. It's an internal struggle, which actually we'll talk about with both of the other stuff in the show too. But mm-hmm. that's honestly what I like about it. And I think it comes through in the video as well. Right. So the video is, wow, just a <laughs> lot to unpack with this video. I was definitely not expecting to see Haley Williams run naked through a woods in basically an X-Files episode for her <laughs> first solo single. That's literally what this music video is. It's it's an episode yeah. of the X-Files. <laughs> 100%. 100%. So break, break down the video for me because I I get the overall gist of it. She's running from herself or or, or battling her inner demons and that is like the absolute smallest tldr of the video but but tell me what i'm not picking up on this video because again just incredibly uncomfortable to watch again i don't know i think it's the whole point so obviously the video she's she's naked uh, <laughs> right she's, she's naked she's running very very like uh hints of thriller the thriller video mm-hmm. in here, i think um but yeah, it's very clear what it represents, right? She's exposed, she's vulnerable, and yet is also full of rage, right? And she's wrestling with that, um, which you see throughout the lyrics. And then at the end of the video, you know, it's revealed that she's running from herself or another side of herself, mm-hmm. right? And in the interviews I've listened to, like about this song, you know, she talks about the song. And just her mindset right now, the idea of staying soft in a hard world or like letting yourself feel pain, letting yourself be vulnerable as a way to protect yourself. And that's a kind of twist that I feel like is really important. And again, I think it's just displayed in a way that is supposed to make you uncomfortable. And quite frankly, it's supposed to make men uncomfortable. Right. 
And so I don't know how far we want to get into that, but I think that's very specific as well. No, Um, and I I definitely think that's super important to note. And I know that when I'm feeling uncomfortable, it's supposed to make me uncomfortable. But I am uncomfortable for a different reason, because of how it actually sounds. (laughs) I don't, she could have these exact lyrics in sung in a completely different manner and if the hook drives home more and if it doesn't feel like she's forcing it vocally to me we're having a completely different conversation i don't think this song's a hit and her delivery of the lyrics and the way she sounds is what's making me feel uncomfortable and just the video itself is that's that's fine y'all can have that (laughs) i I will say with this video though because of the way it ended i hope that she goes all in just with the, you know, artistic decisions with the project. And I hope that like all the videos are connected, like some stories and stuff. I think that would be really cool. And I'm really hoping she's going to go that way with it. But um, to backtrack a little bit, sonically, I mean, I agree. I think it's just fine. So give me, give me your score out of 10. I did an 8.7. 8.7. Oh my God. This is going to be one of your songs of the year. Maybe, but it's not a 10 because I do think it's just like fine. Like you said, like some of the parts just don't drive as much as perhaps I would want them to. Uh-huh. But I it comes back to relatability for me. Like this okay. like I am in this headspace at any given time of the day. Sure. <laughs> so, um, that's like where I'm coming from. And 100%. that It's totally, it makes complete sense. I know that this song is not thematically made for me. I mean, in a way, it it probably is, you know, (laughs) because it's, uh, it's, it's opening some doors that need to be opened and are uncomfortable. But sonically, she just misses the mark completely for what I think what it takes to have a hit. This isn't even being put out on Fuel by Ramen. This has been being put out on Atlantic. Like, this is a full-fledged major label release. There is real, genuine money behind this. And it just feels such a shame to me that I don't even think this song can climb on alt radio. Overall, I'm at 5.7. I think if you completely reconstruct the vocal delivery and and the melody and the and the hook behind it i think we're having it change everything about the song (laughs) (laughs) listen you ain't gotta you ain't gotta change no lyrics i mean straight up shout out to Haley's first f-bomb i was so fed up with the song at that point but i still wanted to get up and clap well two things though one again you know you're we're, we're pushing the idea it's her first like real you know solo stuff do any of us have the right to have an expectation of what it's gonna sound like oh my gosh i know you're right do but (laughs) one more time (laughs) listen this is why i had you on the show for this episode (laughs) you gotta keep me balanced here you're 110 percent right but we have had these solo propositions from Haley in the past multiple multiple of them and she she's been all over the spectrum from a hip-hop hook to an edm hook to a pop punk hook from you know even way back from set your goals we've had these instances where it's like Haley could do all these different things and then i get it like i've said people grow we change our perceptions on life everything is different we the more that we live and experience things the more 
our outlook on literally everything changes. That being mm-hmm. said, please, like, just have someone else in the studio direct it a little bit more. Like, Taylor York, I don't... I'm so glad that he's been there for Haley and, and helped put together whatever the last Paramore album was, whatever. Get someone else in there. Anyone else that you respect as a musician to 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 help hash these things out because it's obvious what Taylor likes and the direction that he's going to skew things towards. There's been so many instances where he's like, you know, I'm really listening to Tame Impala lately, like in the Zane Lowe interview. Fuck Tame Impala. Fuck the talking heads. Fuck anyone who thinks the Beach Boys is the greatest band of all time. Like, <laughs> it, it just skewed everything so much. Those influences and those those marks, there has to be people in in these spaces where it's like, hold on, we can redirect this. You can have both. Just give me a hit. That's all I'm asking for. You can have your art projects. I just want one song that we can market and make a hit. I mean, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna compare this, and it it's gonna be like a little bit of a hard left, but it it is really parallel. So with when you're looking at big these big artists, right, who venture out, you look at okay, I'm gonna say it. You you look at One Direction, mm-hmm. and and look at the direction that Harry decided to take, right? Like sure. Sign of the Times. Terrible song. I hated it. <laughs> Everything about it. But I love that album, though, as a whole. Okay. And I love his new album. And it's very what he wanted to do. And it's just, at least that's my perception of it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a totally different take. I'm not sure that we can convincingly, you know, make the assumption that somebody else is really driving this until we hear the whole project because For sure. I don't want to not give her, I don't want to assume that she doesn't have the reins of her own shit. For all we know, like she's telling him to fuck off and this is what she wants to do. For like, sure. You don't and actually know. You're so, totally right. But just looking at the song credits and I, I just, I wanted to throw up when I saw that he was the sole producer on the track. It's a red flag, but you know, calm down for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right. But damn, I want something that can actually move. And I just, I'm not convinced that this is the song that's actually going to move. But listen, if it makes Haley happy and she's happy and she's genuinely happy doing this, all power in the world to her. Talking about making moves though, do you want to talk about the numbers? So within the first 24 hours, the song did nearly 1 million views on YouTube, the music video. And it trended as high as number eight, I believe, uh, on the trending tab. And it did 334,000 Spotify streams. And as of right now, the song came out on Wednesday. We're recording on Saturday afternoon. It has 2 million streams on Spotify. Mm -hmm. And she got the number three placement on New Music Friday, which is a very big look. And she got the cover of the new alt playlist, Atlantic is at least as far as their streaming game and the the initial push of this song they're ready to kind of go in on it which is very interesting and i'm i'm happy to see it but i just don't see how it can stick in any way that remains to be seen i haven't seen it get added to alt radio yet i was looking at the media base ad boards on hits daily double and i haven't seen it yet it's gonna be very interesting i don't 
think that this can get any movement on top 40, but the alt radio charts prove me wrong all the fucking time with the garbage that climbs up those charts. So we're going to have to see if I'm just completely wrong on this song. It has gotten a very, very positive reaction, but it still feels like it's in a vacuum to me. I don't see people outside of the Paramore and Haley Williams community being like, holy crap, you remember that girl from Paramore? She released a solo song, and it's incredible. I haven't seen that. I don't know. I would argue that it might be the exact opposite. Random people are going to find it and then realize who it is. I think it's like the Paramore people who are going to like kind of shun it because they have the issue with her voice and like some of the other stuff that you brought up. I think it's going to be the opposite. I think it's going to reach just people who wouldn't think of her in that way and relate to this Haley as she is now on her own. It's going to be very interesting. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm still rooting for Haley. Regardless of what I think about the song and what I think about where Paramore went and all this shit, I want to see these people succeed and I want this shit to be big. I don't think this is how you do it. But I really hope they prove me wrong. Well, and so we talked about, too, a little bit when you're talking about how they do it, right? We have a tentative May 8th release date for the album. Right, exactly. And, and so it's January. The, the, this, uh, she, so she did an interview with Annie Mack on BBC Radio 1, and she revealed that release date. And she also said that the album's not done. Never like when they drop the first single and the album's not done. Who knows exactly what that actually means if the album is completely done and they're just waiting on like mixing and mastering or or little stuff like that. But they're obviously ready to push this single because they are giving it it a very long lifespan before the album drops. So we're going to see really quick within the next month or so, next month, month and a half of whether or not this song can gain any momentum or if it's just kind of plateauing after these first couple days. But she also said that they're going to tour. There's two things to unpack there. What does the album do first week and what venue sizes is she going to play? First, let's just unpack first week because that's what Note to Scene revolves around. Just to run to end, this is it's a completely different animal. It's not Paramore. But to give some context for what Paramore has done, for Riot in 2007, they did 42,000. Uh, Brand New Eyes did 185,000 first week in 2009. That is actually insane. Mm-hmm. In 2013, they did... 106,000 and that was self-titled and it obviously dropped. They released Now as the lead single, which was a huge mistake and it completely stumbled, but they obviously had Still Into You and Ain't It Fun Mm -hmm. completely take off. Grammy nominations, uh, Hot 100 hit singles. The biggest that band has ever been came on a cycle where they stumbled out of the gates and that's super super interesting and that's why Matt always reminded me when we were rolling out after after laughter that it's possible to have this first single not stick and it still be a massive success. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot to take into consideration with any release rollout. But after that 106,000 of self-titled, after laughter did 67,000. So it basically dropped 40,000 first week from 2013 to 2017. Now, who knows what a Paramore album would do now? But we have this Haley Williams album. What is your ballpark estimate 
just based off the little, little, little that we have seen so far. It's super hard to give a guess on this. But yeah. this, is a, this is an impossible task. <laughs> I, I absolutely have, like, no the fuck idea. I cannot. I am somewhere around 16,000 first week. Oh my god. That's a that's that's mean even for you, I feel like. I <laughs> just I, I and that is completely honest. I'm not trying to just be a dick on purpose. I don't see how she moves units because bringing up the tour, I don't know what venues Haley can play. I know she was obviously the fate. She was Paramore, but she's by herself, she's also not Paramore. And I don't think she can pull anywhere near the crowds that she would if it was getting promoted all over Paramore's socials and, you know, getting that full push from Atlantic as Paramore because people want to hear the old songs and she doesn't even want to play the old songs anymore. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm assuming like a super intimate tour is what she's going to do and they're going to sell out in 0.3 seconds. But with that, you can't bundle. You know, you're not even gonna, I don't even know if she'll, if it's an intimate tour, I mean, what, are you gonna bundle, like, House of Blues shows? I think she's gonna play even smaller than that, but I'm not sure. It's gonna be, it's gonna be really interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I think that even when we're talking with bundles and we're talking about different things like that, remember that this is a whole, you know, this is a whole project for her. She has her hands in, you know, the visuals, the merch, mm-hmm. all that stuff. She was talking in that interview about not like really wanting her name on anything. If she, you know, releases like this line of merch and she's really careful with it and like you're doing vinyl, you're doing, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. I think that there's a way that you can package it correctly that is going to make it look really enticing, especially knowing that we have all this lead time. And especially if the second single like takes a hard left and it's a banger and you have like these two different sounds coming out and then it's like, well, the album's in May and you start like the pre-orders and you start all these things. I don't know. I think that there's definitely creative room for it to take off you're totally right if if they have you know another single and there's two different sounds and they push they give even more of a push to the second single than they already are now who knows what could happen but i as far as i saw pre-orders aren't live are they i don't think so not yet. that's a huge huge mistake this is as big as it's gonna get as far as announcements go throughout any album cycle it's that initial drop i mean it's the same thing with literally when we do the news cycle and we start rolling out uh and they start rolling out song premieres and we start writing posts about them on our websites and yeah. when we were at ap to loudwire to it doesn't matter what site the biggest post is always that first song the mm-hmm. secondary songs and the third singles and the and the fourth lead up single they're never as big as that first one it never peaks like it does in that initial announcement and that's where you get all of those like kind of impulse pre-order buys and for them to not have that live that that hurt a lot if they would have had them live i i'd feel a little bit more comfortable that she could get over 20,000 but it all kind of depends now on how the songs burn because we i say that in an announcement sense the songs if they're pushed right and if they gain enough more money can obviously become bigger than the entire project i agree that that is tough to see like to go on the pedals for armor and to just not even have like you know one of those blind pre-order options that is bothersome to me or even you could 
uh, here I do agree that this is it could have been played better even even with the lyrics because I'm personally a pretty lyric heavy person I mean as a writers are but even with this song like you put rage is a quiet thing and just that like on a black hoodie like take my money like (laughs) (laughs) that's all i need so i don't know i i really have no idea in terms of sales this could go massively either way like i said wish nothing but the best for Haley. truly hope that i'm completely wrong and this takes off for her and she runs with this to the fullest extent and it becomes bigger than Paramore does and who knows if we'll ever even get Paramore again you know but I am concerned out of the gates but okay the next thing we also it was a big week for the scene which is surprising because the scene doesn't really have very many big weeks anymore but we had two returns Haley and All Time Low so All Time Low came back with a song called Some Kind of Disaster it's very interesting because they released a statement that indirectly addressed the performance and the overall output of Last Young Renegades. They said, the young renegades are no more. Reintroducing your favorite disaster, all-time low. We took a step away for a minute, did some growing, did some soul-searching, some healing. Now we're back and ready to be all yours again. Our battle scars worn proudly and our hair looking better than ever. It's best if you just agree. We've missed you all so much and we're so excited for what comes next. Feels like we've been keeping secrets from you for way too long. Been hard to keep our mouths shut, honestly. It's a song and dance we've done a thousand times before, but this one feels extra good. Besides, it's never the same dance twice. Hope you dig this new song as much as we do. After all, it's for you. So right out of the gates, I saw that before I even listened to the song. And it was really interesting to have them semi-acknowledge what Last Young Renegades was. You know, we had this Mm -hmm. drastic, drastic switch in sound and say what you will about Dirty Work, but even back then, those songs were still at their core value pop punk songs. These Last Young Renegade songs were not pop punk songs. They were trying to be a pop band. And to have them say that going into the song was very interesting. So, Raw Thoughts, what did you think on Some Kind of Disaster? So, Raw Thoughts, I'm a, I'm a little lukewarm, and I am relieved that it's kind of back to a little bit where we would expect them to be. But again, this comes back to me really harping on the relatability of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. this is also very clearly, we're talking about internal struggle. We're talking about, they're really talking about the industry in particular. Um, I think that's very clear here. And I just don't, like I don't have any passion related to that. You know what I mean? Like like I want to hear a love song or a heartbreak song or a pissed off song and you get this song that it's like I'm in an identity crisis and I'm like okay and but sound wise in this one we um talk again about the listener who brought up the the other song the getaway green these two together like being out a little bit at the same time I'm into looking toward a new cycle I think that it's super promising and I'm excited about it. I, I, you know, felt similarly to the last Young Renegade stuff, not as harshly as you, you know, I'm ready. I'm like bracing myself for whatever is going to come out of your mouth in a minute, but liked it, but I'm not thrilled with it. So before I kind of move into it, that I wanted to get your take because 
you have been an all-time low fan forever yeah. and yeah. you wrote a piece that we're going to get into for matt when we were all still at ap called being an all-time low fan at 24 so yeah. this song <laughs> is obviously a huge like crimea river bullshit story from alex you know right. like this whole thing that is all-time low it didn't turn out the way he wanted to. And obviously, with anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, everything that he and this band have been through is going to change you as a person. And that's really what this song is about. You know, he says, uh, I woke up from a never-ending dream. I shut my eyes at 17. I lost every moment in between. I felt the sun rise up and swallow me. This has been his entire life since he was a kid. All Time Low started when they were just babies, basically. And it's been a wild ride to watch them grow up. But this song, sonically, isn't terrible. And I yeah. didn't think that I was going to say that. Mm -hmm. I feel like they missed the mark, ultimately. But it's an interesting proposition when you look at other neon bands. For example, The Main, who were able to re-catapult themselves. Their fan base in 2014, I believe, is when they released American Candy which was their best Third Eye Blind impression. And I don't say that as a bad thing. It was a fantastic move for the band. I love that record. They delivered on the songs, but it's obvious what they were taking from and what they were going for. Mm -hmm. And for these neon bands, it's really interesting to grow up with them because you can't keep playing that same synthesizer, Blink-182, right. four-chord kind of rip off songs and talking about girls when you're 33 yeah. you know you have to grow up at some point and these bands don't know how to grow up mm -hmm. and i think that's a huge problem that the scene has been entering for quite a few years now just go look at craig owen's instagram right now and tell me that i'm wrong <laughs> none of these people know how to grow up because this is all they've known and everything around them fell apart and they didn't know how to sustain any of it. The main is an anomaly. They figured out how to do it. They wrote records that their fans wanted to. And now that their fans have grown up with them, they're never going to lose them. They're always going to do anywhere from like 10 to 12 to maybe 13,000 first week. And they can play music for as long as they want to. And they can go away for as long as they want to. You know, they could do whatever they want. They have their own festivals. And they manage to build themselves their own island and watch everything else fall apart around them. And there's a couple other bands that we've touched on on the show that have done that as well. This is probably the most unlikely is Dance Gavin Dance. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> All Time Low haven't figured out how to do that because they were too busy trying to push themselves forward and in doing so pushing all their fans away so they weren't maintaining or building anything sustainable they kept trying to get new fans which this is not a bad thing they just weren't writing good enough music to do it like the caliber of the output of that album spoke for itself last young renegades yeah this song feels like a proposition that all-time low could be some sort of 90s ripoff band and I don't say that in a bad way because the song isn't terrible. It misses the mark, but there's something to be said about it's a cohesive enough unit that they could take this and mold it into something. I don't know if they just become the next Matchbox 20 in their own sonic way of it, you know, but that's how these neon bands can grow up. They can, they need to start taking from something other than what they grew up with because you yeah. can't rip off Blink-182 until you're 50 years old. And it's obvious that 
all-time low can't write pop music, even though that's all they want to do. And they're getting old, too. They're all married. Not all of them, but some of them are married. I'm sure... I don't know if any of them have kids or not. I don't think so. No. But the song feels a little mishmash. The bridge really did not need to happen. They really, like... It feels like a completely different song. I am never much of a fan of, like, four-on-the-floor verses and then halftime choruses. I think some dude in a studio... 30 years ago was like, this is how you write a ballad. And it's not how you write a fucking ballad at all. The bridge didn't need to happen. That's a really good way to put that. Yeah. It kind of feels like there are parts of the song that are, that are stuck together with duct tape, but overall it's like, it, it brings the idea to mind. It's like the essence of what can all time low do? What can they revert to? Because they can't write nothing personal again. They can't write So Wrong It's Right again. Somehow they managed to reinvent themselves after their first flop and continue to write music that resembled that and resonated with their fan base, but they really fucked themselves last time around, and now they have to figure out how do we keep going now? Mm-hmm. We know we're never going to be as big as we once were. How do we sustain this? How do we sustain with what we have left? And I think this song is almost an answer it's almost an answer out of 10 my rating is a 6.9 and honestly it's going up wow we are like so much closer together on this than i really thought we were gonna be like i thought i was gonna want to punch you in the face (laughs) because usually when you talk about all time low i'm like jesus christ tyler like shut up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm but, sure you and everyone else. Uh, yeah, but I'm I was at a 6.6 with this. Okay. So I'm actually more than you. Yeah, I mean I liked it. But I on my thing is though I'm happy with a 6.6. Like in my head I'm like, okay, good base. You can live with that. What's the next thing here? But even already when we're talking about um like album cycles and just like overall cohesiveness and the push for things you know they released there's almost nothing right but the logo that's attached to this song and the color scheme right all the socials are switched over Mm -hmm. have like the future heart eye symbol in here right but like with an addition to it so i think it's very telling which direction they're gonna try to go i feel like if they were trying to reinvent again in that like alt 90s way that you're talking about then they wouldn't have carried this over so i you know i don't know i don't know about that but my other thing is and this kind of touches on like that article that i wrote like do we even actually want them to grow up With some of these bands, for me, the draw is kind of, you know, I am a sucker for nostalgia, as I think a lot of millennials are, which you can see a lot Mm -hmm. of, you know, like movies and TV shows and stuff are pandering to that. And I, I would be lying if I said that I wasn't, you know, part of that audience. I feel like when you do write songs or whatever that invoke that, kind of like feelings of years past that type thing like that just it feels so connected like whether or not they're actually there in their lives right now is Mm -hmm. almost relevant if they can write a good song about it like I don't know if I want the sound to change or if I want it to go back exactly the way it was and just like new because and last week when you mentioned them 
um, in your little rant there. Uh, <laughs> but you blew off. You you mentioned briefly like the two loose songs that they released. Uh huh. Birthday, the song Birthday. Really. I, Love that song. Yeah. Why? Love it. Absolutely love it. It is a, it has like an element of cheesiness to it. Like there's the like, but like there, that's a little cheesy, but all in all, I just thought it was really fun. I thought it was not exactly what we've seen from them before. And in a good way, like another song that gets stuck in my head that I'm right on par with headspace wise. Like I was just into it. You can dance to it. Like I'm in like, there's like a selfie video of me singing it on my Instagram, I think, but like I'm into it. So I don't know if I want them to grow up. That statement is, there's a lot to unpack there. We could do a whole episode about, do you want your favorite bands to grow up? Cause yeah. I think you're right. I don't think we want them to grow up, but I think they have to. Do they? Okay, I don't know if they have to. I think they feel like they have to. Yes, that part is the struggle. Like, that's where I think, like, Last Young Renegade was just absolutely just deplorable. But it's that pressure to do that because they're older, right? But I don't, I'm, I mean, and you've, you did talk about this, I think last week too, when we were talking, when you were talking about Blink-182 and maybe not this past album, um, even though there's a couple songs from there that made their way on a playlist for me, but mm -hmm. even before that, um, they released good music that nobody expected right. and it was still in their sound and still in their wheelhouse. So, you know, obviously they're two different bands we're talking about, but I think it can be done. Um, it, yeah, sure. it can. And I'm glad you brought up Blink because I had referenced them earlier and I was already like, I can't wait to have people say, well, what about <laughs> Blink-182? You know, they, they're like 50 years old. Yeah, they look That's like fucking zombies and somehow they're still <laughs> able to talk about fucking farts and being teenagers in their songs. And you how uh, Travis Barker looks alone. <laughs> I love how you knew exactly where I was going with it. Leave him alone. Not only him. I saw, I, I watched a video of him and Mark not too long ago. And Jesus, they look like the Rolling Stones. Like it is bad how bad they look. And it's, it's kind of concerning and shocking when you see it for the first time. But to bring it back to how scene bands grow up and talking about how there isn't really an answer for it. I mean... To bring it back to Haley, she's always been Haley from Paramore. I can't imagine what it's like to be defined by that for your entire life. And I get where there's a bit of an identity crisis among these people who have had this thing blow up inside this space that we all grew up in, but we're never actually able to get outside of it. And I know Haley's a little bit of a different story, but it always ties back to those roots. And a lot of the time, these people and musicians feel like they can't shed any of that. They feel like they're always defined by it in some way. You have, even in the metalcore space, someone like Mike Karenica from The Devil Wears Prada. I mean, he has gone on record saying that he doesn't like all of the band's early stuff, and all of their early stuff is the only thing that people want to hear. I mean, that was the biggest the band ever got off of art and things that he created that don't resonate with himself anymore, but that's all the kids care about now. It's a super, super interesting thing to think about, and we're now I'm sold on it. We have to do a, a note to scene therapy podcast at this point because there is so much 
pent up emotions and and unprocessed perceptions about life and just everything we we just need an episode where we bring band members on and just unpack it all but that is all the time we have for this week brandy thank you so much for coming on if you like the show or if you don't please go and leave us a review on uh, apple podcasts uh drop us those five stars or you know if you hate us fuck it give it one star our entire back catalog is on spotify now so if that's where you listen to your podcast subscribe there thank you so much for listening and we will see you again next week